Movies and Booze on Moncrief. Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range. Lidl. More for you. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Uh, Fanula, Jay, Esther McCarthy and Jean Smullen are joining us once again. Good afternoon to you all. Hi, Hi Sean. Hi, Sean. Hey, you're all there. That's great. So, uh, uh, Jean, how are you and uh, what are we going to be talking about today? Well, today is International Sauvignon Blanc Day and we're actually going to be looking at New Zealand's most iconic Sauvignon Blanc, otherwise known as the mothership. That would be Cloudy Bay, the one that started the whole New Zealand oh, phenomenon off. I got it all going. And we're also going to look at another classic wine style, Chianti, which is soon going to be available in the Super Value Italian wine sale, which starts on May 20th. So two super wines for the weekend. Uh, And and is Cloudy Bay, uh, Jean, is it still like the thing? Do you remember like they used to be like, this is a few years ago, but they go, we're waiting for Cloudy Bay, you know. It's now owned by Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy, LBMH who also own the other big thing, which is Whispering Angel. So it's there's a kind of a theme that's been running here for 30 years. These wines, they mu- they're a must-have on, on people's dinner tables when they're having dinner parties because they've got braggability, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And uh, Esther, uh, I don't know anything about either of the films we're talking about today. Are, are they both new releases? They're both new releases, yeah. End of Sentence is an Irish film, actually, ah. uh, shot here, uh, probably not last year, given that there were so many restrictions last year with, with COVID on, on film production, so it must be two years ago now, um, starring the great John Hawkes, who's a, a, an actor I'm very much on board with always. And uh, it's kind of a road trip movie, this one. And guess what, Sean? It's set in contemporary Ireland, and it has people speaking in Irish accents who can be understand understood by international markets. That's a crazy so notion. That'll never work. Take that. Yeah. Take that, John Patrick Shanley in Wild Mountain High. <laughs> and also manages to balance nicely um, being affectionate towards the old sod, I think, um, with not being twee about it. So take that, John Patrick Shanley. Right. OK. <laughs> uh, and actually a road movie, uh, because there haven't really been that many road movies made in Ireland, maybe because people think it's too small to make a road movie about, but it would work. I can really see the idea working It is. Uh, yeah. And the Wild Atlantic Way looks fabulous. I did not succeed as much as I would have liked on location spotting. A lot of the locations are non-specific. But it's fair to say the place looks lovely, all right. Right. OK. And uh, The Secrets We Keep. Yeah, this is new on, um, that's so End of Sentence is on digital platforms to rent from today. Um, and The Secrets We Keep is on Sky and Now TV. So that's the big new movie on Sky this week. Okay. With um, Numi Rapace, Joel Kinnaman, Chris Messina. So a good cast on this one, you know. Um, it's a revenge thriller, which is trying to do the revenge thriller B-movie thing from a different perspective. And that is... The fact that it's set in the 1950s and the characters involved um, may or may not have encountered each other in very violent ways during World War Two. So it's kind of taken a political and historical prism, I suppose, on the on the revenge thriller thing. So you're talking about real life wartime, though, so you want to make sure you get that right tonally, you know. Right. OK, that's an, uh, an interesting concept, though. I think you may have mm. uh, things to say about that. So, uh, Fanula, did you watch it? Did I watch it? No. My boyfriend <laughs> intervened. My boyfriend was like, we're not paying for this. I'm not sitting down and watching with you. Um, so I'm going to maybe have to wait until you I split have a free house. Or we break up, yeah, and indulge them myself. Tell you what we did watch, and I'm not sure if Esther or yourself have watched it, 
watched Antebellum. It was on now. Um, it's Janelle Monae in the lead role and it's from mm. the producers of Get Out. Um, very interesting. I don't want to say too much because it, kind of, it kind of gives away the big twist. But basically, Janelle Monae plays this woman living a slave, living on a plantation and um, trying to escape. But as is with all these movies, um, all is not what it seems. Very good if you're looking for kind of another kind of psychological thriller-esque in that vein. Right. Okay. Interesting suggestion. Now, something that will be coming uh, in some point in the future is uh, another Spice World movie. Yes, seemingly it's on the horizon. There's a few uh, film industry sources, as they're called, uh, talking to the paper saying that um, the current lineup of the band, so that's Jerry, Melty, Melby and Emma Bunton, they've approached a few screenwriters about devising a follow-up to the 1997 movie because they're 25 years together next year. So they want to do kind of, like the quote says, a tongue-in-cheek sequel, but like, that kind of makes out that the first movie was very hard. <laughs> it was a documentary, yeah. Exactly, yeah. I'm not really sure. So, yeah, very early stages. Um, no word on whether Posh is on board or whether, like, Richard E. Grant's going to come back or Elton John. Should be a bit of slapstick fun if it happens. But watch this space, I would say. Yeah, I wonder, are they, big, are, are they still a big enough draw to kind of attract funding for a movie than they would have been this back in the, the day? This is the thing. But I mean, when you consider the demand for the tour and everything, I feel like people just want to see them do anything, something. If you're a fan like that, I feel like you'd follow them to the ends of the earth. But I don't really know what you'd do with a movie like that. You know what I mean? Mm. It's, I don't know. I mean, I'm intrigued though, nonetheless. Yeah. Uh, and but Posh will never come back. Does she just hate them? Uh, she'll have to come back for a cameo or something. I think she knows she looks so sour if she doesn't. She'll be in for like a FaceTime or something and be like, can't come, have to polish David's shoes or something. You know what I mean? And that will be the excuse as to why she's not there for the whole thing. She'll yeah. definitely do a cameo if it happens. Yeah. She looks sour anyway. <laughs> you said it, not me. Yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, meeting David's lemons is the problem. Uh, right. <laughs> Uh, right, a, f- a few comments already coming in. Uh, I watched Nomadland last night, uh, uh, last week. It was very, very slow. I liked it, but a big warning to anyone who's thinking about watching it. Don't be expecting much excitement uh, and make sure you're in the right mood. Uh, Esther, would that be fair to say you kind of need a few hours and, and to feel tranquil? Yeah, it is. It is slow. And that's if you haven't seen any of Chloe Zhao's other films, that's very much her style, you know, and it's all about she almost reminds me of Terence Malick in a way before he started making mm. overlong, overlong perfume commercials um, back when he was making great films. Um, but yeah, it has that deliberately ponderous style, I think. But it does find, you know, it's not a huge amount of incident in it, I suppose, in the typical sense. But it does find a lot of story in in, in little moments, I think, for sure. Yeah, it's all, it seems to be all in the small things, uh, really. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the big stuff in the small stuff, I'd say. <laughs> can't hear Chianti without thinking of Father Beans. Has Gene ever tried the combination, says Cormac? I don't know what that means. Oh, he's talking about Silence of the Lambs. Ah, Fava Beans, yes, yes. Yeah, Yeah, no, no, no. Actually, no, I haven't. Um, But um, I'm sure it's, I'm sure, I'm sure it's wonderful. I don't know if they go together, really. Uh, uh, Can you ask the wine maven uh, if she's seen Pelorus, P-E-L-O-R-U-S. It's cloudy-based sparkling anywhere recently. It is. Yeah. 
And funny enough, I was at on Tuesday morning, I was at a wine, an online wine tasting with Nikolai San George. That's a great name. He is Cloudy Bay's newest winemaker. And he only joined the company six months ago. So he's kind of a bit of a rookie there. Um, young guy, great fun. And funny enough, he was talking about uh, trying to get enough Chardonnay for the Polaris. And uh, because they're trying to uprooting a lot of Chardonnay in Marlborough because everybody wants to grow uh, Sauvignon Blanc. And actually, he felt that Chardonnay really, really performs so well, particularly when it's planted up near the Wither Hills. Um, in Marlborough, and I, I tend to agree with them, you know, I think New Zealand Chardonnay is absolutely unbelievably good, but it's one of the grapes that goes into Polaris. So yeah, Polaris is here. Um, you'll probably get it in specialist off licenses, um, but it's definitely here. Try O'Brien's, they'll probably have it. Right, okay. And Declan wants to know, uh, he was gifted a bottle of Mouton Rothschild 1984. Should I drink it now and how much am I on the hook for when I return the gift? <laughs> Um, well, I don't, I'm I'm not, you know, I, I'm not great on the Bordeaux vintages, to be honest with you. I'd have to look up that actual vintage. Mouton Rothschild is obviously um, mm. one of the first growths. And um, I, 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 off the top of my head, I'm not sure how much the 84 is going to cost you. It doesn't set, ring any bells in terms of being a fantastic vintage, but saying that it probably was. And I'm just going to look like a complete tool here because I don't know is the honest answer. But he's got a good wine there. And. And, um, you know, the, the thing is to, um, you know, you won't be able to resell it. Um, but oh, at this no. Stage, he, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's thinking about whoever gave him the bottle. Uh, oh, the, he wants to know how much, how much, uh, it, how yeah. much it is. Yeah. Right. It'd be yeah. pricey on a bad day, though, would it? Oh, a lot of all those wines, all those fine wines, um, they're they're all getting high high money, big money these days, you know. And um, like the Chinese market goes mad for them. And since the Chinese got into wine buying and wine drinking about ten or fifteen years ago, an awful lot of those wines end up going to China. And so as a result, supply and demand dictates that the prices have pretty well gone through the roof, particularly for the good vintages. Yeah. Trish uh, texted in to say, my late husband, Alex Findlater, introduced Cloudy Bay to Ireland many years ago. I still have some of the original bottles that are totally uh, 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 totally uh, undrinkable by now. A Sauvignon Blanc is best drank young, but I keep them for sentimental reasons. The new Cloudy Bay owned by Moet and LV is a good wine, but pity that those great wine houses are now owned by big multinationals, especially the old French champagne houses. Yeah, and and the the wonderful Alec, I have great memories of him. He was one of the wine trade's most remarkable characters. He was great fun. Um, I I I remember going out on drinking wine with him with other people in the trade. A great raconteur. He was actually at the time for a long time. He was attempting to write the history of the wine trade. That was one of his projects. Um, he was enormous fun and yes his company Finlater and Co uh, which is now uh, exists in a different guise were the first people to bring in um Cloudy Bay and I mean funny enough uh you know it was 1986 a young winemaker called Kevin Judd who these days owns uh, a winery called Grey Wacky he was working with an Australian company called Cape Mentel and um Montana which was owned by the Yuckick family which is now called Brandcott Estate they had originally planned Sauvignon in 1971 in Marlborough and they had some good results but it, but it was Kevin Judd where he he started up the company in association with Cape Mentel 
And he created this iconic wine that literally made Sauvignon Blanc the most famous grape in the world. Um, it was totally down to him. I mean, he created this iconic style, which, you know, but was just irresistible and still is. And yeah, um, she's right. Today it's owned by LVMH. And, you know, it still has enormous cachet and people do, do still want it. But it was a remarkable story. And yeah, the Finlater, um, Finlater Wine and Spirits, which was what the original company was called, it's now called Finlater & Co. That was, again, one of the most, it, particularly in the uh, sort of early 1990s, it was one of the importing companies that really drove the success of the wine trade here. And uh, Alex was quite a remarkable character. I have great memories of him. Mm. All right. So which wine would you like to talk about first? Well, of course, you have to start with the cloudy bay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, this is the 2020 Cloudy Bay. And interestingly enough, when we were talking to Nikolai, he was telling us that the 2021 vintage is brilliant. It really, really is. But like, um, you know, at the moment, I'm not sure if you've heard in the news, but uh, most of Europe has been decimated by frost. I mean, we know it. it's freezing. You come out in the morning here yeah. and the, there's the, fr the garden is all destroyed with frost. Well, can you imagine the effect that's having on the vineyards in Europe and I mean all across Europe, which means that the volumes for the 2021 vintage from Europe are going to be quite low. But last autumn, which was spring in New Zealand, they also got hit with frost, which and you were talking about global warming and climate change when you opened the show. And it just goes to show like it's not only the northern hemisphere, the southern hemisphere got it as well. So as a result, the spring frosts have meant there isn't going to be huge volumes of New Zealand wine available. But it's a very, very, very good vintage, right? So this is Nikolai's first vintage. So he didn't make this, the, the 2020 vintage. It was another winemaker made that. But this is the one that's available now at the moment is the 2020 Cloudy Bay Sauvignon Blanc. And it, retailing at 35.60. So it doesn't come cheap. It's mm. a premium wine. Now, this is available in most, like you'll have it in O'Brien's, Donnybrook uh, Fair. There six shops has it. Selected super values, selected done stores nationwide will have it, and a lot of the independent off licenses. Because this is this, as I said, is the is the, this is a you you bring this to a dinner party as a gift, and whoever gets it is going to feel really really pleased because they know you have actually spent money on them, which kind of reflects your man earlier on talking about the Bordeaux, <laughs> and he wants to know how much he, it costs, right? So, um, I mean, in Ireland, Sauvignon Blanc outperforms uh, all the other grape varieties by about 50%. It is the most popular grape variety on the Irish market, right? Now, um, this Cloudy Bay, right, it's a superstar wine. And the, the, the review for the 2020, and, and it's it, like... Most people, when you try New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, it's it's it, you, it, it's all that, you know, asparagus, uh, grass, you know, it all comes screaming out of the glass. And you really, really know that you're actually trying a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. But this one is actually more subtle. And again, what happens is they they... they they ha they own some of the vineyards, but they also buy in from various growers that are positioned in different vineyard sites all around Marlborough. And they kind of go for the people who have the best sited vineyards and they, they want to get the best quality grapes. And then one of the things that really makes the quality of this wine what it is, is, is the blending. Like they, they will vinify different parcels and then finally all blend them together. And and, and so what you got is it's subtlety. So, the, the, you know, the aroma isn't screaming out of the glass. 
us um, in this particular wine. It's, you know, it's more subtle. Now, it's not like mineral and edgy like a Sancerre or Pui Fume. You can certainly get the aroma, but it's, it's, it's you know, there's more kind of peach, citrus character coming through. Um, and then when you try it, um, you just like everything is in balance here. You've got the subtle acidity. You've got, you know, lovely lime flavors and the, the, the length just, you know, keeps going in your mouth for like forever, you know. But, uh, you know, Jim White, who's the Cloudy Bay Technical Director, said 2020 was everything um, a vintage should be. And the Cloudy Bay that was produced from that vintage was very concentrated with beautiful citrus and stone fruit character. And yes, I concur with that. It's certainly coming through. A rock star wine and, you know, one to celebrate uh, Sauvignon Blanc uh, Day with, because let's face it, it was the Kiwis who put Sauvignon Blanc on the global wine map. Even though it's a French grape and has mm -hmm. been grown in France for generations, Kevin Judd in 1986 with this iconic wine, Cloudy Bay, he just set the bench for all Sauvignon from there on in. And 36 years later, it's still a rock star wine. Uh, James is texting in with a question that I don't think anyone has ever asked before on this slot. I found some old Soviet wine from Hungary from the 1970s. It was given to my dad as a gift by some businessmen way back. I doubt I'd like it, but is Soviet mass-produced wine any good? It's sweet. They love, love. Oh, It'll be yes. They love. The, they, they, I mean, I, I visited Russia in 2019. Now, they don't make sweet wines anymore. It's all they, the, the quality is fantastic. And there are some really stunning wines coming coming out of Russia. They are now going for the dryers out. But back then, you see, you got to remember, after the Second World War, I mean, most of Europe was decimated. There was, you know, and, and people were craving sugar. You know, they didn't have sugar. They, you know, they wanted sweet things. They wanted treats. And one of the places that they could get the sweet, sugary taste was from wine. So they tended to vinify the wines with a lot of sugar in them because they wanted that sugar hit, that sugar kind of treat. So if you opened it, I'm not sure if they'd still be um, yeah. uh, drinkable <laughs> what you're going to get is a lot a lot of residual sugar yeah but there is a like a very ancient tradition of making uh, wine in hungary oh god yes and takai which yeah. is which is a sweet wine is a, a very very famous but you gotta remember what happened was during the soviet era it was all big co cooperative wineries and they were all government controlled and the land was taken away from the in individual people who owned it and it all was part of this big cooperative kind of um scenario and so um after the berlin wall came down in 91 and you know eastern europe and and everything opened up and a lot of the old wineries went back to original ownership or people you know bought land and started to make wine properly what they were left with was was this legacy of all this um really kind of um cooperative poor quality you know it, it was all just about making mass volume wine and and like there'd be like 20 people doing the, what a job that one person could actually do just to keep everybody in employment so it was it was a crazy sort of situation you know yeah uh, i see a tweet from martin moran says uh, he says he picked grapes in france in 1984 it was a very wet autumn and a poor year in bordeaux 
Winesearcher.com says a Mouton Rothschild uh, from that year will set you back 400 quid. So, uh, sorry to give you the bad news there. Uh, whoever texted that in. What year would be like? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Esther, BSB, thankful it wasn't another year. Uh, Esther, should we do an Irish road movie next? Let's do that. Absolutely. Okie dokie. Irish road movie coming up after this. You need to earn respect. I disagree. You respect me? This is my son? Can't we just have a nice meal? You don't respect me. Come on, why don't you just admit things? It's not like it's going to ruin our relationship, Frank. I've done the best I could, given the circumstances. Mm. Sometimes you're the pigeon. Sometimes you're the statue. That's life. You brush off your shoulders and you move on. I've moved on. You know, they say it's inevitable that you turn into your father. I don't think that'll ever happen. Okay, uh, we think maybe that's the wrong clip. Uh, Nonetheless, we are going to talk about uh, end of sentence. Esther, was that anything to do with the movie? We're going to talk about that clip. It was actually, to ah, be fair. Ah, right, well, there you go. Yeah, there was a... a it's a uh, clip from the movie. Right, okay, good. Phew, relief. Why did strangely, I even say anything? Strangely, though, even I've seen the film, I was struggling to find the context there yeah. as well until the very end. But it is, that is um, John Hawkes and Logan Lerman um, delivering two lovely lead performances in this uh, as a troubled father and son, to say the least. Uh, and there is a lot of trouble going on in the family because in the very first scene... Um, we see Andrea Irvine going on a prison visit um, and it's the opening scene in the film. She goes on a prison visit to see her son, who's played by Logan Lerman, who's named Sean. Uh, so it's already evident he's, he's in the spot about her, you know, and uh, she goes in to see him and says, I've come to say goodbye. And you realise that this woman is terminally ill oh, and God. it cuts from there. It cuts on th- at that at that moment. And I thought, I thought, oh, this is good filmmaking here straight away. Um, and then we the film takes up after she has passed and John Hawkes's character, who's named Frank, who, who's Logan Lerman's dad, uh, comes to collect him from prison. But the two have a very um, difficult relationship and uh, Sean won't even get into the car with him. So Frank realises he's going to have his work cut out for him to deliver on his wife's dying wish was that the two men would go to Ireland and scatter. She grew up in Ireland, so she's, she's first generation or um, no, she's Irish, actually. Yeah. First generations grew up in the States. Isn't it? Um, but she yeah, grew up in Ireland before moving to the States and marrying and making a new life for herself. But she has always wanted her ashes to be scattered in this lake up in the north of the country. Um, so they're all intrigued as to, to this, but they can't, you know, fathom the idea of spending time in the car together. But we need to get the road trip moving, Sean. So after the initial objections, off they go. Uh, and it's about their relationship and how that kind of either ravels or unravels over the course of the journey. And you get to meet, you know, calling this the anti-Wild Mountain Time movie, but you actually do get to meet, you know, older Irish people and and they're playing traditional music in the pub and they're talking very affectionately of of, um, this woman who's passed. But it never, it seems like affectionate and certainly sentimental um, in a Sunday afternoon movie kind of way, mm-hmm. but it never seems twee. Yeah. So they always get that balance right, I think. Um, so Sean is kind of hell bent on a new life in California and getting as far away from his father as possible um, and has no interest in repairing 
the damage in his relationship with his dad either, which is pretty unspecified for a good half of the film. So let's not go into that. Um, but I suppose their already difficult relationship is scuppered even further when up pops um, Sarah Bulger's jewel. Uh, the, the She's a feisty woman says she's escaping an abusive relationship and forms this connection with Sean as well. So he wants to drop her up to Larne in the north of the country where she wants to catch a ferry. Um, so there's suddenly um, a stowaway on board, I guess. And she is really, she's a lot of trouble, that character. So she kind of moves the story along in really good ways. And it's lovely to see Sarah Bulger having made that astonishingly good debut in Jim Sheridan's film in America all those years ago. Now all grown up and enjoying a very successful um, career based mostly in US and, and US television. But again, she's stealing the scenes here. She's very good in everything she does, I have to say. Um, so this is a co-production, Sean. It's, um, I think it's not spoken of maybe how much the success of Irish cinema in recent years has been down to co-productions. Like we're a small country and we don't have a huge TV funding body, for example, like big, bigger countries like Italy or Germany. So you really have to kind of bang heads with other countries. And we've done so very successfully in the last few years with countries like Canada, Luxembourg is a biggie um, and, and the USA and of course the UK. Uh, but this is the first one I think I've seen uh, a co-production with Iceland, hmm. uh, which I found quite intriguing. And it's a debut feature from an Icelandic director um, by the name of Elfar Adelstein. Um, I did like this. I did. It's Look, it's a... You're in three star territory here, I would say. Um, it's quite a simple film. It, you know, in in all but the best road trip movies, I think they eventually run out of road a little, except for the all time great um, Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, but while the pace drags at times, I think this is a very likable, charming, low key drama. Um, and the three leads are really, really superb in it. John, John Hawkes in particular for me. I mean, I've always loved him in, in anything I've seen. And people will know him best, I guess, for, for Deadwood. Um, but he just has that kind of, that sad face and that kind of presence about him that makes you totally believe in, in, in him as a man who's been a bit beaten down by life, you know. Mm. And you really empathise with him. But the son, Logan Norman's son, is not just a uh, cardboard cut out prison near do well either it turns out he's had um a lot of incidents in his life and feels very let down by his family so it this is well drawn this it's it's simple it's small uh but it's well drawn and i have to say ireland looks beautiful in it um there's a lot i didn't see a lot of specific landscapes i think larne was the only townland that was mentioned um and i'm not even sure i wouldn't know i wouldn't know larne well enough to know if, if that's where it was shot or not um, but the la- the landscapes are beautiful and there's one big finale um, when they get to the lake to say goodbye to their mother and wife. Um, that just looks beautiful as well. Okay. This is sweet, I, this. Yeah, it's, it's uh, from your description, it sounds worth watching just to see Ireland. Uh, uh, because it is actually, you know, you kind of, oftentimes when you see uh, Ireland depicted on screen, you, because, you, you know, we all kind of wander around it without maybe seeing it uh, as uh, or paying enough attention to it that sometimes you can see it on screen and go, God, that's, we live in a beautiful country, you know. Yeah. 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 
the uh, God save us tonight now Nomadland obviously uh, as everyone knows uh, won a, a rake of Oscars Esther loved it uh, Tom says having watched Mank Sound of Metal and Nomadland I have to say I'm not impressed with this year's Oscar nominees. Mank was self-indulgent and awful. Nomadland was boring. Sound of Metal was by far the best of them and it was only Grant. 2020, a pretty poor year for movies, says Tom. Do you agree, Esther? Uh, strongly disagree, although I didn't like Mank either. I thought it was a really good year. Um, I agree with him on Sound of Metal. Like, I would have been really good with three of the eight films picking up Best Picture this year and that would have been Nomadland, Minari, which is just an absolute charmer, but I I did think maybe a little too um, light isn't a fair word, but not as profound as some of the other competition. Um, And Sound of Metal for me, man, I watched it again um, just last weekend and it is an astonishingly good film. And any other year, Riz Ahmed would have run away with that Best Actor Oscar. It's a really, really great film if you haven't seen it yet. And it technically... It has real empathy and heart to it um, and a brilliant love story at its core. But technically, it's a fantastic film as well. So I can see why it got six nominations. Um, it ran away with the sound, of course, but I was, lo- I was delighted to see it getting the editing as well. That was a big nod for all involved in that. Yeah, no, somebody else says, I had a terrible attack of gout 11 months ago. No Madland reminded me of that. Painful. Uh, <laughs> Jim in Dublin says, uh, try Cloudy Bay twice. Once 25 years ago in a restaurant, it was truly gorgeous. Then 10 years later, I saw it in an offie for 44 quid. It was truly average. A big disappointment. Can't remember the vintages, but any idea why? Well, one of the things that Cloudy Bay tried to do is keep his consistency. And funny, Nicola was talking about that. Like they want to try and get the same that every year it's it's pretty consistent in style. Now, you got to remember um, that uh, Kevin Judd left in 2008. So since then, there's been a series of different winemakers making, making uh, the wine. And obviously, that's going to make the have they, they put their own stamp, their own profile on it. So um, obviously, uh, the, the, the listener loves. Kevin's original uh, version from 25 years ago because Kevin would have still been making the wine then and whoever was making the wine then when he tried the more recent version he was it was it wasn't a winemaker who, who who appealed to the whose style appealed to him it's as simple as that right okay uh someone else says a few weeks back i asked jean about a georgian red called pheasant's tears i loved it i tried their white at the weekend and it tasted bizarre still can't decide whether i liked it or not do they add something to it in georgia it doesn't taste like grapes it's a quirvy wine. It's it's to all intents and purposes a natural wine. Um, the the wines are fermented in big amphora that are buried under the ground. Mm. So and they don't they don't have very much intervention at all. And uh, it's very much an acquired taste. It's one of the big um, kind of how would you call it? It's one of the big wine styles that we have now these days. That you know everybody like those red, white, rosé, and uh, orange are natural. That, that that those are the wine trends at the moment um but it doesn't mean you have to like it you know what i mean some people love it and some people hate it it's like anything you know um but it's a, it, it's a very distinctive style and it's not you know a, a, like a commercial wine that you you know that are made just for fruit and you know kind of drinkability appeal these are kind of a level up there they're they're more kind of handcrafted more mm. artisan wines yeah uh, and someone's texting in to say uh worked on end 
of sentence and we filmed in Wicklow and Wexford back in 2017. Uh, just well, I suppose the, the, the turnaround on films is pretty long anyway. But uh, I, I assume that uh, the pandemic uh, dragged that out uh, even further. Not necessarily a uh, film question, but someone says, uh, "Just wondering what the guys think of Frank of Ireland." Me and my family love it, but every time I go on Twitter, people are complaining about it. This is the comedy thing on Channel Four with the the Gleeson brothers. Fanula, have you seen that? Yes, I watched, was it three or four episodes, I think, with my housemates. Loved the first episode. And then after that, I, I kind of lost me. It's that kind of very, like, it's like very lowbrow, kind of very obvious bits. And I don't know, I kind of thought the Gleasons would be compelling enough to keep me interested. But after episode two, I was like, my God, I do not care about this. And it was very repetitive. I like, I was surprised to see how divisive it was online. Um, cause the first episode is so strong, but yeah, I don't know. Like, I think the, the trailer and the original promotion around it kind of made it out to be a series that it wasn't and kind of more irreverent when it's really just kind of silly and, below mm. the belt if that makes sense I don't know I'm not sure if any of the rest of you have watched it but yeah I, I watched the sense. first one I could see what they were kind of aiming to do but I just for me it just wasn't landing uh, yeah it's very kind of like like adult swim but it's, it doesn't land in the way that a lot of their stuff does I think I don't know it just seemed like che- like cheap shots across the board from episode two onwards which is disappointing because the cast is absolutely stacked in terms of talent but yeah, I don't know. I just don't think they were able to bring like the idea they had fully to life. Mm. Now, staying uh, with Telly, because this is something that's coming out of Hollywood as well. Uh, Linda Tripp, for people who don't know, Linda Tripp famously recorded her phone calls with Monica Lewinsky back in the 70s, uh, which led to the impeachment uh, of Bill Clinton. And uh, now Ryan Murphy's making uh, a version of that. And does it look like it's Sarah Paulson in a fat suit? Yeah, so this is the thing. This is the third series of Ryan Murphy's series, um, American Crime Story. And as you said, it's kind of focusing around um, the impeachment and uh, looks to be very exciting. I would be very interested in it. But Sarah Paulson is playing the role of Linda Tripp. And there were some images released in the last two weeks um, and there was rumours around it that she seemed to be wearing a fat suit. There's been no confirmation of those claims. But it kind of led to this discussion around representation of plus-size actors in Hollywood. Like, Sarah Paulson is very much straight-sized. Should she have gotten this role? Whatever else. But as you said, he's kind of, Ryan Murphy has come out and defended it and said that she's been really dedicated to the role and is looking to gain weight naturally and all this. And kind of make comparisons to, I don't know if you remember Christian Bale in Vice. He put on a load of weight for that Mm. role. And he's kind of talking about how, like, why was that not brought up? And it's just the dedication of being an actor, I suppose. It's an interesting conversation, I think, because, like, there are plus size actors who are talented enough to probably take on the role. Like Sarah Paul, like Sarah Paulson is just in everything Ryan Murphy does. And especially in these kind of roles, like she's typecast at this point. It would have been nice to see someone else get a chance. But yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm still going to watch because like you've the likes of Clive Owen is attached to it as well. Billy Eichner, Beanie Feldstadt, Edie Falco. I'm very intrigued, but I don't know. It's, it's a conversation worth having. I'd be interested to hear what other people have to say. I would just be of the opinion that you can probably widen the pool at this point, Ryan. Like uh, we know um, your busy mates with Sarah. 
Plus also, I mean, is it admirable to say, well, this person uh, has uh, put their uh, their health in direct jeopardy by massive weight gain and then afterwards massive uh, weight loss? Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing when, as you say, there's probably other people who are more the size who could uh, have played the role perfectly well. Anyway, we, totally. do, have, uh, we do have to take a, a commercial break. We have more stuff to talk about after this. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. Yeah, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on uh, News Talk. Uh, uh, Fanula, Esther, and Jean are still with us. Uh, Jean, without further ado, tell us about our next wine. Okay, we're going to go to Chianti, to Tuscany now, and we're going to have a look at the 2019 Baffo Rossi, which is produced by a guy called Pier Giorgio Castellani, whom I was lucky enough to visit um, three years ago in May uh, 2018. And I actually put a picture of his estate up on my Twitter account when I p- tweeted this morning, um, the Cassoni estate in, in Tuscany. Um, the family have been in the business since the 19th century. And he's one of the things that he did, his philosophy completely is all about organic wines. And um, when his first kid was born 20 years ago, he just, you know, he wasn't going to go mass production. He really introduced organic farming and you know that's his kind of philosophy the wine we have today is the Baffo Rosse which is going to be on it's normally um 13.99 but it's going to be on offer at nine euro in the super value Italian wine sale which is starting on Thursday the 20th of May and running for three weeks until the 10th of June now they have some fabulous wines on offer and anybody who likes Italian wine like you know go go for it and there's some great great value to be had but this is a very modern style of Chianti. And you can even see it in the bottle. I mean, everybody remembers Chianti back in the 70s with the raffia-covered gla- uh, bottles and all that. Well, now, this has kind of a, a red moustache on the label, and it's a screw cap, and it's all kind of very modern. But what what he does here is he's taken a step away from the traditional style, and he's making in a wine that he wants to appeal to the younger wine drinker, you know, to, 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 to people who are maybe just starting to drink red wine for the first time so i mean the thing about a lot of italian wines both red and white that they all tend to have an awful lot of acidity very vibrant acidity that is the sort of the natural um kind of that's all what italian wine is largely about they all have this gorgeous acidity but this new style has a kind of a softer rounder mouthfeel um now it's very you've got lots of strawberries on the nose and you're still getting the expression of Sangiovese which is what the grape that made they make Chianti with um but it's um you know it's very very drinkable it's quite actually fruit forward it's very there's a lot you know it's very very drinkable and you know it it, 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 it's kind of a softer version of the um uh, a a classic style the other thing they're going to be having in the super value fail which i really want to talk about is bag in box now we had a question a few weeks ago somebody asking about it this year more than ever all the retailers are starting to get on board with bag on box which i think is because we're all doing outdoor summer and i'm a child who grew up and every picnic we ever had was on the back seat of a morris minor right Mm. so that was before global warming and wetter summers so good luck with that but because we're all going to be dining and entertaining in our back gardens or in socially distances in parks and whatever The bag-in-box is actually going to come into its own this year. And, you know, basically it's a three-litre box with, um, you know, a a sort of a... The inside has got this kind of... um, 
vacuum seal bag that prevents air from getting in. Now, the good selling point is that bag and box can be kept for up to six weeks. If you open a bottle of wine, it's only going to last a few days. So as part of the Super Value uh, Italian wine sale, they're actually going to be offering a bag and box, the Barone Montalno Passavento for 28 euro. Now, you may think, oh, that's a lot of money to spend. But, but it's three litres. You're getting three years, you're getting four bottles of wine for 28 euro, okay. which is great. That's going to last for six weeks that you could bring out to your back garden when you have the friends out. And you're all sitting there freezing your butts off, um, wearing, <laughs> you know, with your umbrellas, wearing rugs around you, but saying, oh, we're going to keep the party going and we're going to sit outside. Here, give me another glass of that Italian wine in the bag of box and it'll last forever. So definitely. And there's other retailers are getting on board with that as well. So I think this is the year the Irish are going to sort of forget about their snobbery about bag and box because it must be in a bottle or it's not wine. And I reckon bag and box this summer is going to come into its own. And I reckon we're going to be seeing an awful lot more of it. Uh, you are like, I like to drink it indoors, though. That's that's probably an important thing. But we're not allowed to drink inside. We're not allowed to do anything inside. We have yeah. to be outside. In the privacy oh. of your own home with your with your big box of wine. That's that's you know that's perfectly legal. Ah, right. Okay. Well, that's a that's a very interesting development. Uh, we'll move on to our second movie. Now we are a bit stuck for time, so we won't bother uh, with the clip. It is the secrets we keep. Uh, Esther, what's it about? Yeah, this is um, it's taking a really good kind of concept and wasting it, Sean, really. Uh, I'm wasting a good cast as well. Numi Rapace, the original girl with the dragon tattoo, Joel Kinnaman from The Killing and uh, Chris Messina. So a really good cast here. She is uh, it's set in an anonymous American town 15 years after World War Two. Uh, she's a Romanian woman who has married an American man that she met in Europe after the war and uh, he's Chris Messina and uh, they are trying to rebuild their life, I suppose. And she one day sees a man walking down the street who is she is convinced is a German um, so- soldier who tortured her and was involved in the death of her family when she was a kid. Because what this film is examining is the concept of some countries being complicit with the Nazis in um, getting rid of some of their own people. So, you know, the way some some countries said, yeah, you can come in and take our native um, mm-hmm. Roma. And she, it, it emerges that she was one of those Roma people who was brought to a camp um, during World War Two. So a great idea to kind of put a twist or a new spin on the revenge thriller thing, because she takes him kidnap and starts torturing him in the family house um, to try and get a confession out of him. But it kind of then wastes that, you know, and it doesn't do anything tacky about it, but it becomes with it, but it becomes a bit, you become a bit uneasy with it, I suppose, after a while, because they're not really doing anything with the concept. So it becomes then, you know, kind of overly bogged down in its own historical moral quandary without having something sufficiently original to say. And as it went on, I didn't really believe it either. You know, when you get to the end of a very tense thriller and you're going, I oh, would you one of you just kill each other so I can be finished with it. It's right. Like OK, that. that's that. That's that's a snappy review. Uh, and and Fanola, um, in the uh, basically 10 seconds we have left, uh, Michael B. Jordan auditioned for Star Wars, but didn't get it. Yeah, he basically said he couldn't get into character, audition for Star Wars Fork Awakens. What, what, what character was it? Was it like a big 
That he one? didn't say, but I think he struggled with the idea of space and a galaxy far, far away, which begs the question, why did you audition in the first place, Michael yeah. Jordan? Okay. But he watched it after and realised that um, he said, he was like, you know what, they did a great job, so it was clearly the right decision not to cast me, so all's well that ends well. Really. <laughs> but, he, but he is in Black Panther as a character called Eric Killmonger. Uh, not too tricky to get his character for that one, I would have thought. The, <laughs> name, the name explains all the directions you need. Uh, Fanula, Esther and Jean, thank you all uh, very much. Movies and Booze on Moncrief Brought to you by Lidl's award-winning wine range Lidl, more for you Enjoy alcohol sensibly Visit drinkaware.ie